Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, 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 Ty Roxon over here, and it's another day to change the world. So have you ever had a conversation with someone and you felt like this is the absolute most important conversation that should be happening right now? Well, that was a conversation I had with Michael Landers. Michael and I met on LinkedIn, and we quickly realized that we both grew up in similar ways. On the surface, we look very different. He's white and black. He's American. I'm Nigerian. But we grew up in multiple places that we could call home. And pretty quickly, our conversations led into collaboration opportunities. Like, whoa, why don't we do something where we really show people what it's like to truly cross cultures? And we were both like, well, let's figure out a way to do that. And one of the ways we did that was have this interview. And in this interview, you're going to learn tactics to understand yourself, understand the cultures around you, and understand why it's important, especially in today's world. Really, really enjoy this conversation. This is one of my favorite interviews to date. It really encapsulates what I try to do with this podcast, what I do with my company, and what Michael does with his company and his platform as well. Enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Michael Landers. Michael described himself as the principal of Culture Crossing, and over the last 15 years, Michael has designed and facilitated programs for global executives and managers to help them build essential skills in the arenas such as cross-cultural communication, leadership, team building, sustainable employee, employee engagement, diversity and inclusion, and international recruiting and staffing. So obviously... I feel like I'm talking to a twin here, but he's also conducted businesses in over 30 countries, so he knows what he's doing. He actually lives out what he works. He's a fellow TTK. We're going to be talking about his book and concept of cultural crossing, as well as how to be an effective communicator in today's digital age. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Tyler. Great to be here. The pleasure is mine. Now, before I get started, before we go into what it is to be a culture crosser, I always like given my guests an opportunity to introduce themselves into the world, to peel back the layers of the onion, um, if you will. What makes you you, and how did it get started for you? I mean, I, I know you're a TCK, but I don't know that the audience knows the level of, of, uh, of your background and how it plays into what you did today. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I get that question a lot. People are like, how did you get into doing what you're doing? And, and I was kind of born and raised into it. Um, I'm originally from Boston. Both my parents are U.S. Americans. But when I was three years old, my father uh, took us to Bogota, Colombia, and he worked at an international school. So from the time I was three to the time I was 15 years old, I lived in Bogota, Colombia, coming back to Boston every summer. Then we moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and then we moved again to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean. So I ended up going to three high schools in four years in three different countries. So that was really kind of my indoctrination into this whole idea of culture crossing and culture shock and culture crashing and discovering what a TCK was not so many years later, but living that, that kind of life. Um, after undergrad, where I studied international relations in the United States, University of Miami, uh, two weeks after that, I was like, get me out of this country. I need to be in a different country again. I, I'm not comfortable. And I moved to Japan. I lived in Japan for, for several years working for a traditional Japanese company and um, working and opening a consultancy there, helping doctors who were going to take sabbaticals to Japanese doctors who were going to take sabbaticals to other countries around the world. And I came back to, to the United States and was going to get a master's in education. My family is filled with teachers. And I was like, okay, that comes naturally to me. And I think it's a good thing. And I found um, this uh, program to get a master's in cross-cultural training. And I'm like, what is that? And uh, that was like, this is perfect for me. And there, and there you go. So I got that and then started off uh, doing work in international HR and built my own business up around this kind of cross-cultural consultant. You know, I, I love those stories because I, I obviously relate to them. But I'm always curious, though, about those particular transition moments, those moments when you said to yourself, get me out of this country or I want to live here or moments maybe yeah. when you felt like you were out of place. Yeah. How did you figure out how to exist during those difficult periods, you know, those times of identity crisis? Yeah, it's right. And it's a great, it's a great phrase. It is an identity crisis. And, and as you well know, when, when you kind of cross cultures, everything comes into play, right? And, and if you're not really settled, sometimes those transitions are really, really difficult. I think one of the things that we, that, that I look at, some of the hardest things for everybody, me included, are just your transition moments in life, going from work to being back home, going from home to work leaving work, going to lunch and coming back. Like those little mini transition moments are tend to be the times where people have the most stress and and communication kind of breaks down. Throw in this idea of going from one country to another and uprooting your life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, for me, those four years of college were really difficult. It was an identity crisis because as a TCK, you know, like if you um, start to adapt and assimilate into another culture, Right. When you go back to your home culture, this idea of reverse culture shock, which I know you've experienced like myself, is sometimes the hardest. And that's that's a lot of my friends and colleagues and, and people that I've worked with. That reverse culture shock is so hard because on the outside, you're saying all the right things and, and, and you and you know what's going on. But then inside, you're, you're feeling this conflict like, wait a minute, I don't really fit here. But you don't share that with the people. So I fit in perfectly. Uh, from a U.S. American perspective, back to university, but I didn't share this other these other all aspects of my identity with my friends, yeah. and so that's why I was like, I need to get out of here. And it was hard, you know. You, you want to fit in, and you're trying to fit in, and I found some joy here and there. But then, um, once I got out of uh, the U.S. again, I was very happy, and um, and then I came back to grad school, and it was it was an easier transition because I had people around me who were who I could share that identity with, and I think that's really tight. What I found is. When you're when you're in those situations and you can't share who you are because people don't understand it and you might not understand it yet as well, those are challenging times. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I love that so much because it you know at the core of what I do and what you do, what we're trying to get across is create an environment where you can 
be seen, understood, and heard, you know, seen, heard, and understood, regardless of where you are, right? And a lot of times, you know, even in today's world of globalization and digitalization, there is this, um, there, there are almost unspoken rules of, hey, success looks this way. You should be that way. And a lot of times, consciously, unconsciously, um, kids, adults, we all fall into this this supposed to syndrome, what I call the supposed to syndrome, we're supposed to be a certain way and we lose a piece of our identities. And um, so that's why I love I love what your work is. And that's why I wanted to ask you that question, because it does segue into the work that you do now. Now, you wrote a book called um, Culture Crossing. Now, Correct. I'm very curious to hear about the concepts, because you also talk about how that decreases the risks in global communication and how that's a key to for creating successful connection in the global era. So yeah, walk me through what you're thinking when you say that. Yeah, so I think the, the impetus for the book came out of you know, years of, of doing workshops and, and seeing, reading a lot of other great books that are out there that focus heavily on the other, right? I think a lot of books that you see, and, and again, I think they're very useful and I've learned a lot from them, but like how to work with Culture X, how to work with a certain generation, right? And they're very much focused on how, do, how can I be successful when I'm working with these specific groups? And I think they're very, very useful. But what I found was missing in, in, in some of the work that I do in, in working with other people as well as in some of these books is there's not a lot of time spent on me, the person. And it's, it's focusing heavily on what I can do to influence the other person versus taking a look at my what I call cultural baggage, right? And so how do you explore your cultural baggage? How do you look at your code, your human cultural code that we all have? kind of inside and, and that makes us who we are because to me that was where we're going to be able to interact more effectively with a lot more people rather than just focusing on how do I work with this group and this group and this, that group. If I can understand myself better, I think I can be better off at not reacting to people who might have different ways of thinking or doing than I, than I have. So that's the idea of culture crossing. What I found in my life was life is a series of culture crossings, two cultures interacting whether it be national, right, whether it be regional, local, organizational, right, two companies interacting, departmental within an organization, sales and marketing interacting. And at the end of the day, everybody has their own culture, their own culture codes, right, their own beliefs, their own values. So every time you interact with anybody, there is this idea of a culture crossing. And the idea is that two things can happen. We can have a culture connection, and those happen a lot. And, and when those happen, we say things, in my experience, like, I love working with Tayo. And people are like, why? Oh, he just gets it, right? I love being a, a customer at that hotel. Why? They just get it. I like eating there. Why? That restaurant, man, they get it. They know how to do things, right? And when we look at that, what do they get? They get you. They get your values. They get your expectations. And why we look at those as connections is I didn't have to tell you. Hey, Tayo, here are my expectations of you. This is how I like to work. You just you, you have the same ones as I do, so we don't have to communicate that, so it's easy, right? Those are the connections. And the opposite thing that can happen is a culture crash, right? And culture crashes happen when you unwittingly or unknowingly may offend somebody, but they don't get it. Oh, I don't like working with Michael. Oh, he just, I don't know, he just doesn't get it. What I don't get is, is your ways, and we didn't talk about them, and so that's upsetting to you or me. And so the book is really taking a look at how do I minimize culture crashes in my life at home, at work, you know, and then how can I maximize the connections? And what we found is 
You can do that by understanding your own programming a little bit better and, and having positive conversations and really clarifying your intent and adjusting and adapting your responses to things. Um, so you can kind of match other people's um, thinking or thoughts, or at the very least, you're more aware of your own. Uh, no, this this particular topic fascinates me so much. And um, before I even go on to the what the parallels that I draw, I can draw from this with bias. Um, I want sure. I want to talk about that understanding of self more. You know, so because you are right, a lot of times, whatever your culture crossing, you have to be able to understand yourself and reactions to certain things and triggers and all those things. But someone listening may be saying, okay, so that's self-awareness, internal self-awareness. So what can I, what practically can I apply to myself now to make sure I have this habit of, of you know, you know, having my cultural code optimized for the global era? Yeah, definitely. So it's a practical tip. I think one of the things that we look at in awareness is, is most of us are in a, a, a stage one which is unconscious incompetence, which means you don't know that you don't know, right? And that's always a hard stage to be in because if you don't know that you don't know, how do you become aware of the fact that you don't know that you don't know if you don't know that you don't know that you don't know, <laughs> right? You don't know, right? And so usually we all get out of that stage because someone tells us, you know, like if I'm doing something wrong or something that might be offensive, you might tell you, go, hey, Michael, just, just watch out. When you say that, somebody could be offended. I'm like, oh, I didn't know, right? Cool, thank you. Um, or I make a mistake. I fail, right? I'm like, oh, I totally blew that. I, I bombed that, man. Okay, next time I'm going to adjust it. Now I know, right? So I think one of the things to look at is we do a lot of things by default. And, and you said the word bias, and that's that unconscious bias is because we're doing things without necessarily knowing or thinking about them, right? And so... I have found that one quick thing to look at is look at how you might do certain things in your life as simple as how you write emails. Because the great majority of us live our lives by what I call the golden rule, which a lot of us know, which is treating people as you want to be treated. And I think the value there is respect, so I appreciate that rule. But it's kind of broken in the global world and the diverse and inclusive world, right? We need to go to our platinum rule, which is treat people as they want to be treated. But before you do that, Right. And I don't think you can treat everybody the way they want to be treated, but I look to at least ask. And this is the first step is kind of opening your mind to going, huh, I wonder if there's a different way to do that thing. So, for example, most people write emails in the golden rule. If you're an exclamation point person, you're going to lead with emailing going, hey, Tayo, exclamation point. How's it going? Exclamation point. Blah, 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 blah. Great seeing you. Thanks. Exclamation point. Michael. Right. So that's the golden rule of email. That's me saying I appreciate exclamation points, but I didn't ask you if you like them. And if you write back and you don't put exclamation points, I might be like, man, Tyler's not a good guy. He's not excited. What's wrong? What's up with that? Just because of an exclamation point. Right. And we look at that in direct communication, in feedback. And so one of the first things that people can do is when you recognize that you're feeling upset by how somebody is speaking to you or writing an email or giving you feedback. Just pause at that moment and go, I wonder what their intention is. Maybe I'm just misinterpreting that. If you start there, you're at least going to give yourself some, some, some space to respond rather than react to situations. Because very often people's intent isn't what you think it is. Yeah. Especially yeah. on the negative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times there's this thing called assume positive intent, which um, <laughs> now on the surface, when you say that a lot of times people are like, what? So you want me to be taken advantage of? You know, <laughs> yeah, positive intent. I'm because you know I do a lot of bias training. The reason why I said I draw the parallel. What you're saying is, 
a lot of times, you know, when we are dealing with this diverse world, we have to address a lot of our things <laughs> internally, uh, acknowledge that we have some biases and acknowledge that we, maybe we react to certain things and then understand why before we do that. And it was drawing that parallel there. But yeah, back to that positive intent thing. It is so hard for people to apply because they are afraid of getting taken advantage of. And I think you and I have done this enough to know that more times than not, the intent is not as negative as we are led to believe. It's more, you know, people are doing the same thing we're doing. They're reacting before thinking. Like, ah, you said that, with the email back. And before they even know what they've said, they're like, oh, man, I just felt disrespected. So I was just trying to do that. I wasn't trying to start a fight. (laughs) you know. and, and that that's a key thing. I mean, you you just said a, said a phrase that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, which is as soon as somebody feels quote unquote disrespected, that's it. Yeah. Right. That that that's the, that that's a huge wall that goes up. Now, let's say my intention is to just kind of ask a question because I'm interested in your background, and so I just go, "Hey, Ty, where are you from?" Right. Now, for you, maybe you feel by me asking that you think. I'm saying, oh, he must think I'm not from the United States because of my name. Right. And then you come back and you go, you know, whatever, man. I'm not talking that, you know, like, yeah, I'm where I'm from where I'm from. Right. And you answer that way because you feel like I'm being disrespected. Now I just now I'm feeling disrespected on the fact because I didn't think I was being disrespectful. My intent was to ask you where you were from because I was curious. I didn't know where you were from. You know, we're all from somewhere. But you heard that as aggressive. And let's say you responded in kind. Now I'm a, now I'm going to be aggressive to your aggressive, and then see you later. Yeah, yeah. And that's that whole thing. So assume, and this is the thing: if you ask me, "Hey, Michael, where are you from?" and I'm like, "Oh, what does he think I'm not from here?" So before I go there, I'm going to be like, "All right, I am going to assume positive intent in that sense, and be like, maybe he's just really curious, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what we're talking about. And I think if you look at it that way, people don't feel they'll be getting taken advantage of in, in that way. But but. When you catch yourself and you feel that kind of, oh, this person's trying to do something, that might just be in your mind. And I think when you cross cultures, a lot of the times it is in your mind. Absolutely. That's my experience. I yeah. love it. I love this. I, I want to play devil's advocate even more here because I feel like, Go ahead. I feel like you're, you're, you can handle this. So, yes, I can. <laughs> a lot of times people on the minority end, right? A lot of times maybe they feel, um, you know, they feel like they don't have to have the burden of educating people. On, on you know what you're saying, so that way you're from, or why do you talk this way? So yeah. maybe they've heard en- enough, quote unquote, to them stupid questions, or they feel like they always yeah. have to like have the burden of explaining themselves to everyone, so people feel okay around them. And yeah. and uh, you know that I I've also heard people say that right? They're like, oh, gosh, yeah. I've dealt with this for all my freaking life. Now you tell me I have to yeah. do this again, and they're like, yeah. you know what? Educate yourself. Okay, yes. the book's right there. Don't yep. come and ask me a stupid question about whether it's black and touch it. You know, all these type of things. Like, can I <laughs> touch your hair or like weird yep. type of stuff? Yep. So what do you do then? Because there's yeah. that angle. It, it's a total legit, legitimate thing and I feel it and, and I appreciate it and I've experienced it too. Okay. Um, and, and, and the more that someone asks you those questions and the more negative experiences you've had on it, the harder it is to, 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 to kind of change that. Mm. So. I'm not like everybody should do this. It's it's a personal thing and it's a hard thing, right? Um, I living in Japan, I lived in a small town and I was one of ten foreigners. And when I used to walk around the streets, there were 150,000 people in this town and there was ten foreigners. I was one of them. When I walked around the streets, kids would come running up to me and rub my arms, and they would. And then I found out what they were saying afterwards, which was, "Look, he looks like a monkey because I had hair in my arms." 
Okay, and they were pointing at my eyes and calling me round eye, round eye. Right, and so that was a really interesting experience because at the first thought I thought they just were like being all oh, friendly kids. They like me. Oh, I'm like a celebrity. But then you find out, oh, they're actually calling you. You look like a monkey. Right, and I'm like, wow. All right, now. Do I get angry at those kids if everybody does it after a year or two? Or, and, and some days, yeah, it's really hard and frustrating. And I'm like, educate yourself, right? But here's the thing that I learned over the years now, and this is kind of what I try to, to, to share with people. I'm not saying that everybody has to do it, and I know it's hard. But one of the things is if somebody is unconsciously incompetent, meaning they don't know that they don't know, it's really hard for me personally to get angry at them. If they don't know that they don't know that coming up to – Somebody, and especially like a kid, and rubbing their arm and saying, look, he looks like a monkey. Or look at his hair, it's just like a monkey because their dad doesn't have any hair on his arm, for example. How can I get angry at that kid? Now, if I educate those children or I educate an adult and go, hey, you know what? It's not good to say to ask people where they're from, you know, because what you're, what you're saying to them is you don't fit my version of, of, of what someone from here should look like. So instead say, hey, where's your family originally from? Because that's a, that's a very safe question in the United States because we look at everybody's from some other place unless you're Native American or First Nation, right? Um, and then once the person understands that, if they keep on asking where are you from, where are you from, and you know that, then I can see why people get upset and angry. But I try to assume that, hey, do you not know that? But if you call somebody from India and say, are you, are you East Indian? Like, that's not something you should say because the East India term comes from the East Indian Trading Company, which is the kind of organization that colonized India. So someone from India could be very well offended, offended by that. Yeah. Now, if I educate somebody and they keep on doing it, I'm like, okay, now you know that you don't know, but now you're just pushing people's buttons. Now I'm going to have a different conversation with you. Yeah. But, but I feel you. It's not a specific thing, but that's worked for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there are going to be people who I know are not, you know, that, that I know that they know and that they keep on doing it. Again, different conversations. But I can see how it's hard. What have you found for yourself? That, that, that helps work through some of those problems sometimes because it's not going to be every single time. Like, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, no, I, I'll answer that now. And with you, the, where are you from? You said you found that it's better to ask where's your family from? I say where's your family originally from, especially in the United States because people have – the majority of people in the U.S. Are, might, are, are from someplace other than the country. Yeah, got no. I find that to be a safer question because the, that's really what people are looking to know, right? Um, if someone asked me that, I would say, hey, you know what? Half my family is originally from Lithuania, right? And then and way back when, probably the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you no. ask around, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 this is good. I'm, 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 like, I'm nodding because these are things that I, you know, obviously we do such similar work. It's interesting to hear it validated on and, and, and the other side. So as far as answering your question, you know, how I've dealt with that for me, Initially, you know, when I started getting all these weird questions, it was when I first came to, um, I mean, I got some when I was younger, like, why does your hair curl that way? You know, mm -hmm. why is your nose, this, whatever. But as a kid, that had like an interesting effect in me because I, I, I would ask my mom, like, is something wrong with my face? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, that was me at 10, 11. And gradually I became... Uh, more confident in myself and, and I understood what it meant to be black because um, it was really my first time hanging around white people and it was just like this weird culture shock but I, I found my identity uh, through building connect connectors with sports but when I came to the United States for school I remember many instances where people 
I, I would have to argue people to, to convince them that I was Nigerian. And then when I convinced them that I was Nigerian, they would start to ask, you know, questions like if, if I was safe, if I lived in a hut, if I slept with mm-hmm. lions or monkeys and things like that. And no. I initially thought this was a joke. And I was like, well, you guys, this is, are you serious right now? And so, yep. yeah, my initial um, reaction was, was anger. And, mm-hmm. and then after a while, it kept happening. I was like, man, I, I don't know that this is a, <laughs> I mean, I just think they don't know. I think yeah. they legitimately don't know. And yep. so I, I, I had to have a mental shift in my head where I said, I'm going to use this as an education opportunity to tell people. Now, I have that, I've always had that teacher convert, uh, you know, people to, to positive mindset as a kid. You know, I grew up in two military dictatorships, but that's just my natural disposition. I'm also the oldest of three boys. So I've always been like in that mindset, but yeah. I've also just known, you know, when I asked you, pose that, you know, devil's advocate to you, there are people that have dealt with that all their life that at some point, you know, humans have a breaking point. Um, but I, I do think the answer is in between because I think at some point we have to be able to see the bigger picture. And yeah. then sometimes I've even reframed it to them. I've said, when we've gotten to, to a comfortable point, we're like, hey, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad that you asked that question. But, you know, sometimes if you ask people that question, this is how they're thinking, right? They're thinking, yeah. I don't have to ask you that question. Why are you asking me that question? And so if you put yourself in that position and you show them, you essentially make the environment safe by saying you answer the question. And then you, you basically say, hey, you probably shouldn't do this to other people. And this is why I found that that's worked even more because then they've gone on to be able to educate other people. Correct, and that, and that's exactly right. And so I think I'm 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 in I'm in alignment with you on on how it feels, and then ways around it. But but I also understand because I've been there as well, where I've I've had questions asked or situations too many times that I got frustrated by it. Right. But here's the thing that happens when when the frustration becomes a constant, and you say that's it, I'm not dealing with anywhere. Then it becomes a chip. Yeah. Right? And that's it. <laughs> And that chip goes on the shoulder, and the more people try to hammer away at it, it becomes a block, right? And then it just starts to limit one's ability to interact with anybody. And then internally, the anger continues. And so even though I feel it and I've been there, what it's really doing to individuals is it's hurting themselves, Yes. right? They are, they're holding it all in, and that existence is not a fun one. And so... I really think of like if there's little things they can do even once a day, be like when I get that question, I'm going to really say, huh, going to give myself two seconds and go, what's their intention right now? Do I really know what it is? I think I know, but maybe they just don't know that they don't know. And how can I educate them then? You know, but it's hard. I I feel it, but but I like I like how you talk about it. And I think that makes a lot of sense is if you answer questions and then tell people, hey, you know what? Just, I, I know you're, I, I think, was your intention to ask me that? You were just curious? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, cool. I'll tell you, sometimes if you ask that question, some people might see your intention as being too kind of like accusatory or yeah. judgmental. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I'm like, yeah. So what I do is I just adjust the question and I go, hey, where's your family originally from? And that's a safer question because of A, B, and C. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I love this. This is so, it's so true. And I love how you said, if we don't work in this, it can become a chip. And you know, yep. the fact that it matters, the time that we live in today, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's not necessarily post-racial, but what's happening right now when you have digital media that you, you can connect. I, we we're doing this interview via Skype, right? We're in different locations. Yep. Or, you yep. know, I could do the same thing with someone in Singapore or China or anywhere. Yep. We're coming into contact with so many cultures at a faster and much more rapid rate. 
you know, and I'm a millennial, my generation and younger are continuously mixed. And yeah. so what happens is that if we're not equipped with the skill sets to, to be, to understand ourselves, to be better aware of what our triggers are, or even just be better self-aware, uh, internally and externally, so we understand. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How people see us and understand how we see ourselves. It, it is going to be increasingly, increasingly more dangerous. And I've, I've lived in a situation where two dictators came into in power and decided to divide and conquer the country based on tribal lines because they knew that they could play on those differences. Now, if we don't learn how to be better bridges, all these barriers are going to come invisibly or, uh, or visibly. And that, to me, is much more dangerous. And so I love the fact that what you're saying does challenge people to say, okay, well, let me move above my own ego for a little bit and just pause and say, what, where is this person coming from? Maybe they're not actually trying to be this, uh, this disrespectful. It might be that they don't know. And if they don't know, let me just breathe, allow myself to take in the situation and then answer the question and also provide them with a tool that they probably wouldn't um, perpetuate a certain narrative. Yeah. And so, and what you're talking, so we, I have a method that, that I've come up with that's called the, the cultural ROI. Hashtag trademark. No, yeah, trademark, but, trademark up, that. <laughs> what's up? What's up? But yeah, it's out there. So, so the cultural, and we have workshops around it. And then, then cultural ROI, what it is, is, is R is recognize. That's the first thing, which is like, hey, recognize how you're feeling. Recognize how you're feeling because of somebody's doing something or saying something or you reading something, whatever it is. Recognize that you're feeling upset or happy or whatever. Okay, but let's say in interactions that are not necessarily positive. So I'll recognize that, hey, right now I'm feeling that. Ty, you're not being this way, but imagine like I feel I'm feeling like Ty's being aggressive, right? So let me, before I respond or, or react to him, I'm just going to recognize I'm feeling that. Now I'm going to go to the O portion, which is open your mind, which is kind of what you just said, right? Now I'm going to open my mind and I'm going to say, huh, I wonder if his intention is to be aggressive or that's just his communication style. Maybe he's just being himself and he's not intending to make me feel aggressive. Maybe I'm just feeling that way, okay? So those are the two, and that's basically your pause button. Now the I is identify different styles, identify how you could adapt your response, right? And that one takes a little bit more time. But if you lead with the R and the O, at least you're giving yourself space. And the more work you do and the more you read, and, and we have some other things within the book that talks about all these different mental models, that's the I piece, yeah. right? And you know, being a TCK and traveling around and working with so many people, you have a lot of ways to, to a lot of like kind of methods and and things to identify how to adapt your response to certain situations. A lot of the work that we do is giving people those 
kind of different ways of looking at things to identify how they can adapt their response. Yeah. But the ROI piece, the R and E O is really the first step for people that they can do right away. And I just found it to be for myself, just I have a more peaceful existence, even at home with my wife. Yeah. That's good. Um, no, I, I just feel like this podcast is, is hitting a lot of things for a lot of people. And I think it's such a timely matter. Um, you and I have, have dabbled and talked about this. So the idea, I'm black, you're white, yes, I'm African, I'm you're American. Yep. yep. Can you talk about the concept you feel is, is necessary for people to experience the duality of both of our experiences? Because on the, on the surface, we, we, you know, people can assume we have different experiences. We look different, but I, you, when you introduce this idea to me, I, I've loved this since the beginning. You believe that there's actually more benefit from a, a co-narrative approach where both of our experiences get to be shared simultaneously and people get multiple things at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I found that and I, and I do believe that. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, right? Let's say you and I are delivering the same exact message with the same exact words, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say I deliver it to, um, for this case, an all-black audience. Mm -hmm. And you deliver it to an all-white, quote-unquote, audience. And then I deliver it to an all-white and you deliver it to an all-black. What do we think the response would be like if we were able to poll people afterwards? That's tough. So I'm delivering to the all white and you're doing to all black. Yeah. And then, and then we flip it and we get different audiences every time. So four different audiences and then you deliver like, you know, and I, I don't know. And I don't know if you've had that experience yet. You know what? You might. The, the experience I've had, I haven't, you know, sometimes, you know, I do a lot of speaking, you do a lot of speaking. So I don't, I get, I've gotten good responses from both, but I find um, that whenever I do speak in an audience, maybe it's predominantly white. And there's mm -hmm. some there's some minority, there's some black uh, people in the audience or people of African descent. Mm -hmm. They wait at the end of the conference mm -hmm. and they come they, they they come find me and they're like, mm -hmm. I, I did it to, at a middle school conference last year, and they and and they waited to the end and said, you know what, I didn't realize it was possible. Thank you. Um, just seeing you had something to do with me, and I, I had just it inspired something in me because I felt like I could be there too. They saw themselves in me and i can even liken it to the black panther um phenomenon is going on. i've seen it three times yes. seeing it, i'm seeing it for the fourth time uh, nice. on friday, on friday. Nice. and the reason nice. why i'm yeah I, this is me seeing the movie four times in the span of a week but i'll tell you That's why amazing. it's so important to me go for the longest time when i was a kid my accent was made fun of especially when i was moving around a lot I'm it was sure. never cool to be african <laughs> yeah. right? it, it was never like even when we came here it was, it was you know yeah. I, you know i'm still in nigeria it was never it was never cool it was like oh you come from this booty scratch and all that and so right. to, to see your country your continent being represented oh. yep. in, in a way that's not stereotypical it's royal people are actually trying yep. to speak in your accent people are yep. wearing the clothes from your 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 from various tribes there's yep. just something that sparks i mean i had several random emotional outbursts that would happen to me throughout the week just because I was like, I can't believe this is 400 and something million, you know, 201 million in the first week that this is freaking yep. powerful. Yep. That's the experience I imagine yep. a lot of those people have there. Um, it's amazing. It really is. And you got to look at uh, So it's so good to hear it. And, and it's, it's such a huge thing for young kids, mm -hmm. minorities, color or not, right? Subdominant to see the minority 
uh, at least in this country, be celebrated, right? Yeah. And shared. And, and also in a positive way and an accurate way too, right? Accurate way, exactly. Not, not in a cultural appropriation way. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I feel you on that one. And I, and I have the same experience. I like when I go speak to, to groups that are predominantly one culture, afterwards, the minority, regardless if it's, if it's uh, ethnic or language or, or phenotype, meaning color, they'll come up to me. Because of what I'm talking about is, is inclusivity, and it, and it speaks to them. And it, a lot of times, well, they're Latino just because they find out that I'm, you know, I have my background as Latino. Um, and but it doesn't matter. They just feel like here's someone who I can talk to, and I'm comfortable with that, right? But what I'm looking at is that sometimes in the topics that we deal with, if people see somebody from their group dominant or subdominant you know, speaking, they'll, they'll initially have less obstacles to go through. Yeah. And so if there's the opportunity for people who look very different, but are saying the same thing and have had very similar experiences, that's a really powerful thing that I think can make an audience much more open. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I love that. And I, you know, I can't wait to explore that more with you, but I, I do think because especially I, I want us to get to a place where it's you know everyone gets to feel seen, heard, and understood. And I'm always curious about the other perspective because I, I I know what it's like to be a minority. I've always been a minority everywhere I've been. But I'm yeah. I'm also curious on your end since you you know you you operate that majority minority thin because people might look at you and say oh of course majority guy yeah and then they listen to you like uh maybe not so <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious because you can exist in both worlds. Um, much like the way I can exist as being uh, an African and African American, even though I am not African American, right? right. I, I come, I right. exist outside the world. I walk out of this building. I know what I'm perceived as immediately, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And people talk to you, and and they'll, and and they'll they'll be like, they'll just they'll label you to what they think you are. Exactly. Exactly. Now, on that end, what is the most difficult thing that a lot of people in the white community are seeing now with, with a lot of minority movements? Because I do see a lot of things where. <laughs> this was uh, to me. It's it's very ridiculous to say to to see this, but I I understand. I if I try to understand, I can understand. Maybe there was a, a person, there was a white person on Twitter that said, "Hey, I want to respect Black Panther, so I don't know when I should see the movie, right?" And I was like, <laughs> that, I was like, well, you gotta you gotta see it. That's what that's the whole point. So you support that Hollywood can make this movie." But there are people that are on the fence. They're like, ah, I don't know. It's like, uh, can I say something because I'm white? Can I walk in eggshells now? So in, yeah. in that, since you can exist there more than I do, what are those difficulties that a lot of white people are having now, especially yeah. in, the Trump, in the Trump administration and yeah. different things where people just, I think people, they're not bad people, obviously. No one, I'm not saying they're bad people. They just feel like they can't necessarily be themselves, which is what we're trying to promote. Like, you should be yourself. And they feel like if they say something, they're going to be fired or get correct, got correct. rid of. So what is that? What's that experience yeah. like for someone like me that might not truly understand? Yeah, no, and it's a good point. And like, I think you, you see this in, in any majority minority relationship or dominant or subdominant, right? And we can look at it in many different ways in many different countries. But let's, let's look at this from the, let's, we'll unpack just real quickly the white and let's say the black experience. Um, and obviously there's all different other minorities and majorities within, right. the, within the United States. But if we're looking at that, I think, one of the things that I find in the work that I do when I have done a lot of work with a lot of quote unquote, you know, Caucasian population throughout many, many states, you know, deep red states, blue states, all different kind of things. And I think 
there's always the percentage of, of both sides, like, you know, that you have your racists and your bigots and your misogynists and all that that are, that are known, right? So I'm going to keep those outside of this conversation. Right, right. I want to focus on the people that don't know that they don't know, like that person you mentioned on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? And the, the reaching out like that is really a call to say, like, you, for you and I, be like, really? Come on, man. But in reality, it is really. Yeah, the person might just not know, and so I think this is what happens, and I think you've seen this a lot, Taya, with people coming up to you and speak and talking to you in different situations in your life, and I have as well, which is sometimes people are paralyzed. They're paralyzed because they're aware enough of thinking, I don't want to do or say the wrong thing yeah. because of the situation, and then when that happens, they may choose not to interact at all. Or when they do choose to interact or are forced to interact, it's totally unnatural. And I know from being a minority in many different situations in my life when the majority feels uncomfortable. And I know you know that very, very well in this country. When you have people from the majority come to talk to you and you can sense you're like, this person is not being themselves. They're (laughs) nice to me because they think I'm a minority or they're trying to say the right thing. So I think this is where our work comes in, which is, getting people to recognize a better way to interact with each other, right? And it's true. You should be authentic to yourself, but you should also understand that, hey, you know, how can I naturally kind of break the ice with people, right? And a lot of times people see people from from different classes or the minority and go, oh, what I normally say, I can't say. And what I have found in my experience is I'm just very, I don't look at it at any, any different, Yep. Right. Yep. I'm not going to look at any. I'm not any different because that's when I'm going to get into problems, right? And I've heard that a lot. And again, it's easier said than done, but that's at least the starting point that I have seen. Um, and sometimes when you educate people that way, they can then interact with people very differently. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Just that. Thank you for saying that. And I think there's there's just a tremendous uh, space space of. You know, mind of, I don't know how you say it, uh, mental space you get into when you just become utterly confident with yourself, right? Because I know, for example, with me and any given day, I know what I look like to some people, but I've, I've also been described as someone who is a, I'm a walking contradiction, essentially. Like, I like the stereotypical things, the stereotypical things that you think of black person, like, I love basketball, sports, anything in general, uh, or workout often as well. But when people also hear some of the other interests I've talked about, they're like, man, I thought you were like a 16-year-old white girl. And I was like, because, you know, <laughs> because of all the other things. And just because of my other interests. And right. I, the more I own those things, you know, whether it's me being a bad dancer and putting it out on Instagram and saying all those things, the more I own them before even people own them for me, I was like, yeah. People were actually will come out to me and say, you know what? Initially, I didn't know how to take you. I was like, I don't know how to figure this guy out. But. I feel like you're authentic <laughs> and it's okay. And yeah. that, that, that means you're all right with me, right? And yeah. it's just this interesting paradox. If, we, if you stop living necessarily for other people, stay authentic, understand that you're still respecting people, but you're not going to necessarily like be some, be unnatural. Like, you, you know, right. just so that you can fit a, you feel a cool narrative in someone's eyes. It actually does end up working, uh, in your favor. Because people will just say, oh, that's just, that's Tyle. Or that's yeah. just Michael. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I, think, I think that people are, as humans, we're very, very attuned to when somebody else is feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Usually, you know, especially when we're a minority working with a majority. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the the minor the minority mind. Okay. And again, I'm saying all different types of minority and any type of minority majority relationship, dominant or subdominant, but. Being a minority, when you're a minority in a situation, you're much more sensitive and attuned to how the majority is behaving. And if they're uncomfortable around you, you feel it. Exactly. And so my message to the majorities in situations is, why are you uncomfortable in that situation? You don't know that person. Nothing's gone on. If you're uncomfortable because of the history of what's happening in the country, so all the more reason for you to be natural and you and approach this person as you would anybody. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Now, you hit the nail on the head. The, the whole idea of the, the history of minority and majority is a lot of times minorities feel like they're not being treated as equally as equals. So if you're like, thinking you have to overcompensate, that comes across as, as almost condescending. I'm like, what? Yeah. And if you just say, hey, yeah, you, you greet the same person, like a white person or a black person, the same degree as a Hispanic and an Asian person, they're like, oh, that's fine. You greet me the same way. So yeah. there's... There is much more at, at, at work behind the scenes um, by just being yourself. And I think your idea of culture crossing is so relevant now because it's not that you have to overcompensate to be someone else's. It's that you need to do research to understand why you're uncomfortable, but also mm-hmm. understand your triggers and understand maybe, you know, why things have worked for you in the past and they haven't worked for other people. And I also think there's an element of empathy that we all need to get to where we can understand how certain words or actions make other people feel um, yeah. uh, and, and act. Because once yeah. we have that, that you know, mirror for ourselves and also uh, the external mirror, we can then be better uh, global citizens. And so it, it goes two ways. Your internal work as well as understanding the platinum rule, like you said, treat people how they want to be tre- uh, treated and not from uh, treat people how you want to be treated type of way. Yeah, I think. I mean, look, the, our our country's in 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 my experience is in the midst of a major culture crash, right? And and I try to stay purple as much as I can in the work that I do because I'm trying to evoke change. But of course, I have my my views and stuff, and I'm not going to get on, on this platform to bash anybody. Right, but I right, will right. Take, But I will take a look at the president, okay? Um, and I will say that the president, when he speaks, a lot of times, right? He's not necessarily clear on his communication style, but his intentions, in his mind, this is my belief, in his mind, are consistently misinterpreted, right? So he sends things out that are so disrespectful and so wrong, but I actually believe in his mind he's not thinking that. That's how twisted it is, right? And then people respond back with all these aggressive things because what he's saying to them is really hurtful and really wrong. Then what happens is massive tweet storms come back. So it's a classic culture crash that's happening. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and again, I'm not defending him at all, but I am saying that that's an example of somebody not being in tune with with what uh, with how they're being received. Right. And I think the other big thing is when any of us interact with anybody, we kind of drop a a, a pebble in, in in a pond. Right. We all create weight. Right, we all create wake, um, and I really strive to get people to understand, and me myself as well, a continuing learning of: Are you aware of the wake you are making? Right, and back to the president. In my mind, the answer is absolutely not, and it's not a wake; it's a tidal wave that he's creating. Right, or he's maniacal enough that he actually does 
and is aware of the wake he's making. Yeah. But either way, if we could all be more aware of the wake we make, we might change how we swim and how we walk in this this shared ocean or pond or lake. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, I, you know, with the election, I, I, everybody knows my stance, but at the same time, I'm also able to, to, to exist outside of this because the most important thing that I have always said, even when the election was happening and things were going on, it was, I hope that this mirror, this is a, this is a good reflection of how society is today. But yep. I hope that this challenges us uh, to do more, to do mm-hmm. more to get to know ourselves as well as the people around us. Because I don't think yeah. enough people are listening. And I think that is the deeper problem. Because I, I don't like tackling problems with just like a symptom mindset. I want to understand the cause. Right? So yeah. I want everybody. Like, that was the whole goal. Red, blue, whatever you, you stand to really yeah. just look at, you know, if you're at a at a time when there's almost 50-50 division, then there's a yep. problem. So, <laughs> because yeah. everybody's yeah. in love with their own narrative. So, 100%. how do we get beyond that? that that's yeah. the only thing that I've um, cared about, honestly, because it just means people aren't being heard from any side. So, yeah. 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 And, and on the same way, and look, I do workshops and, and talk all across the country, the world as well, but definitely the country the last couple of years. And, and because of the split in the country... Every time I talk, there's going to be people from the quote unquote both sides. Yeah. And so I have to I have to remain purple there because my intention of talking to people is to open their minds. Exactly. And be better people. And and so I have to let go of the fact that they like this or that or this, because if I can get them even to change a little bit or one thing, then there's success. And what I found, Tayo, is that the way you get people to change is it has you have to they have to be felt that they're listened to and, and it has to relate. But at the end of the day, for most adults, is if if I get people to be clear about what their intention is in a given moment, and I say, if you continue doing it that way, here's the impact it's going to have on people. And if that's not the impact they want, then they are willing to change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that and, and that that's like the simplest way to look at getting p- certain people to change, which is, hey, if your intention is to sell something, if you keep on doing it this way. Like every time you sell, you raise your voice. The impact is that people are going to feel like you're trying to sell too hard. So just lower your voice two octaves down or, or two levels down, and then your your impact will be, oh, this person's calm and confident, and then that person will change their voice. Now, you can swap out the voice for words and beliefs and physical behavior, all these kind of things, but that's what I've seen gets people to change it, that intention impact alignment. There you go. There you go. I love it. All uh, right, man. <laughs> so as, as we get ready to close here, because there have been so many gems dropped here, um, you know, what's uh, what's the best way people can reach you? Yeah, definitely. So, so um, my website's Culture Crossing. Just Google that, search that, and you'll it'll come up. It's culturecrossing.net if you're if you want the actual uh, suffix there. But Culture Crossing will come up uh, pretty high in most most searches. You can order my book if you're interested in this kind of thing. Uh, it's on Amazon, it's on iBooks, it's everywhere. Um, have, take a look at it. I think you'll find that in the book, it, it goes over that method and gives people a lot of things on how they can adapt their response. And if people want to reach out to me, hit me up uh, versus via Twitter, Culture Crossing is my handle, and uh, on LinkedIn as well. I welcome almost anybody to accept, well, accept your invitation and start a conversation that way. Um, feel free to email me through my website too if you have questions, and I will get back to you pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And uh, I always ask this question to my guests, the last uh, question. So um, 
my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. And I ask all my guests this question, how do you use your difference to make a difference? How do I use my difference to make a difference? Yeah. Um, so my I, my, I feel like my experience growing up and, and my life to this date has been, has been different, right, than a lot of the people that, that I, I'm interacting with. And so my difference and my unique situation was challenging. And I really didn't have anybody to kind of help guide me through that. I was just, I kind of had to discover it myself. And so that's how I use my difference to make a difference. So I can be a guide or a help or a mentor or a teacher or anything, drop a, a little thing of wisdom for other people who are going through similar situations, which I believe everybody is. There you go. I love it. You turned. It's the same. Tell you. I feel like I was talking. I've been talking to a twin. It's just. I would say I turned my identity crisis to a gift, and I think you did the same thing. And. Yep. Um, and if anyone, if anyone is taking anything from this, I want people to understand that on the surface, you know, Michael and I look very different. We have very different experiences, but there's still look at there's still many commonalities that we have. And I think yeah. that that's a place we all can get if we culture cross, as uh, as uh, as Michael says. So um, a really really. Had a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for sharing all that you shared. Awesome, Tyler. Thanks for your time. Thanks for including me on your podcast. Continued success, and uh, appreciate you, man. Pleasure is mine. And ladies and gentlemen, until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.